Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to The Art of Kindness, where we have compassionate conversations with artists from all areas of the entertainment industry who are using their voice to spread joy and make this big spinning planet in the sky a better place to be. I'm Robert Peter Paul, and I'm so glad you're here. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, friends. Happy November. I missed you all. We have a really wonderful guest today. In fact, I've been sitting on this interview for a while, waiting to release it until after her book came out. Her book is out. So here she is. Side note, it was interesting to go back and listen to this interview after so much time had passed. I'm going to be honest with you guys because I always am. When I recorded this interview, (laughs) I was using my mic wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I was using my mic incorrectly while recording basically all of the early episodes of this podcast. Now, you know, I've never made a podcast before, okay? This has been a learning journey. So that said, the sound quality of the interview... I think it's fine. You know, maybe I shouldn't have even said anything because I don't know if you'll notice, but I noticed and I just wanted to put it out there, okay? Today's guest is a true force. Shelly Tegelski wears a lot of hats. She is a self-proclaimed self-care activist, a mindfulness teacher, and the founder of Pandemic of Love. Pandemic of Love is a global grassroots volunteer-led mutual aid community that has directly matched nearly to 2 million people since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, accounting for over 60 million in direct transactions. Her work has been featured in over 100 media outlets, including CNN Heroes of 2020, Forbes, Upworthy, The Kelly Clarkson Show, CBS This Morning, The New York Times, and The Washington Post. Shelley is also the author of the book, Sit Down to Rise Up, How Radical Self-Care Can Change the World. And let me tell you, I had the privilege of reading this book, and it is life-changing. But you don't just have to take my word for it. Shelley has been praised by individuals like Ariana Huffington, Maria Shriver, Deborah Messing, and even President Joe Biden. Yes, President Joe Biden. So I totally understand if you want to pause this and go order her book right now. Shelley is also a trauma-informed mindfulness teacher named one of the 12 powerful women of the mindfulness movement by Mindful Magazine in 2019. 
She teaches formalized self-care and resilience practices at organizations around the world and is widely recognized as a self-care activist. She is happily married to her husband, Jason, hey, and is an adoring mother to her son, Liam. As part of her own self-care, Shelly makes time for skateboarding, playing guitar, and making craft cocktails. Since mid-2020, Shelly and Jason have been relocating every few months, exploring and adapting to a modern nomadic lifestyle. Needless to say, I had pages and pages of questions for Shelly. Unfortunately, we did not get to all of them, but what I was so fortunate to discuss with her is incredibly inspiring, and I think you'll take a lot from what she has to say. Be sure to stay tuned after the interview for your kindness tip of the week and our final giveaway winner of the No Tricks Only Treats campaign. That's right, somebody's going home with a Be Kind beanie from the Be Kind shop. Ah, it's so cool, so stay tuned for that. Without further ado, please welcome Shelly Tegelski. Well, I am so honestly honored to talk to you today. Before I really just start to like pour the compliments on you because they're coming, I should ask you, how are you at receiving compliments? I am always super awkward and uncomfortable because I'm just an awkward person, but like (laughs) same. (laughs) I try to be graceful, but it's very hard for me because I'm naturally a self-deprecating person and I suffer massively from imposter syndrome. So I... Mm which I talk about a lot. So, so it's very hard for me. I totally feel you. That's so interesting. Like actually most people that I'm speaking with, it's really hard for them to accept it. So I'll try not to make you too uncomfortable. I'm an awkward person as well. So it'll probably come off awkward anyway, and we'll just be awkward and it'll be fun. And everybody listening, you can feel awkward too. Great. Well, Shelly, I have to say you truly embody the word inspiration. I think your new book, Sit Down to Rise Up, How Radical Self-Care Can Change the World is life-changing. Honestly, I'm not normally one to read digital copies of books. I much prefer the hard copy, but you so graciously sent me an early digital copy. So obviously I was going to read it and I literally could not put it down. It was to the point where it took me a while because I kept wanting to go back and reread each sentence and really let it sink in. But opening the book to me felt like meeting a kindred spirit in a Mm. strange way. I just feel like this book is a GPS navigation to mindfulness, if that makes sense. And I could really go on and on and talk about it. And I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you. I just have so many questions that I know I won't be able to ask you, but thank you just for not only talking the talk, but walking the walk and being yourself and sharing your journey. I I really, really admire you so much. Thank you so much. That, that actually really means a lot to me. I think it's nerve wracking to put a book that is personal out into the world because it's personal. And so if people don't like it, you're like, well, do they not like the way I write or do they not like the story or do they not like me? And so like, it's a slippery slope. So it's really gratifying to hear that people are responding in a really positive way to the book. And I hope that it inspires people to actually get off their, their butts and, you know, get out into the world and, Mm -hmm. and make changes that they want to see. 
Yeah. And there's no way you, you're ever going to really know how people are processing it when they're reading it second by second. I'm sure mm-hmm. you're going to get so many compliments, but every sentence, every second was connecting in my life to something else. And I feel like this was really just fortuitous in a lot of ways, because I started reading it at a point where I'm like, what am I doing? I feel so lost. And so I thank you for that. I immediately wanted to forward it to everybody, but I didn't because they got to buy the book. (laughs) So everybody out there needs to get this book is what I'm basically saying. I love at the core of it and at the core of everything you do, you seem to really value kindness so much. And you talk Mm -hmm. a lot about kindness. Yeah. What is your definition of kindness? I mean, I think I can't improve on Jesus's definition of kindness. So this is like a Jew talking about what a, I guess also a fellow Jew said is, you know, that you just treat people the way that you want to be treated. I mean, it's, as, it's truly as simple as that. Like there's just no other way to express that. It's, it's what I want to see in the world, what I want to see in other people and the way that I want to, you know, um, help to contribute to those things that I want to see. Mm, that's beautiful. I love that you gave Jesus credit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I yeah, that's like, important. yeah, like, you know, there's a few people in history that like just get credited for like 95% of everything that's out there. So it's like, <laughs> well, I think years from now, you're going to be credited with a lot. If I mean, already <laughs> you are. So be prepared. Kindness is something that you said has shaped your life from a really young age. Mm -hmm. which is interesting because a lot of the people I talk with start to kind of really think about and practice kindness later in life. But you shared the compelling story about how you were kidnapped at the age of two years old and were saved by the kindness of a stranger, really. It's in your book. You've talked about it before. And I won't, I would love to hear you say it, but I won't make you retell the story because everyone listening should buy the book and read it themselves. But I know ultimately you said it ended up putting pressure on you in a way. And it kind of gave you anxiety because you didn't know if you could do that in your life. I was wondering, of course, now that you've done that for so many people through pandemic of love and your other work, looking back, what would you tell that little girl today to kind of calm her anxiety down or any pressure she felt? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, it's important to note that one of the big kind of characteristics that surrounded that story of the Good Samaritan that really saved me, right? And in, in that moment, in that day from possible peril or God only knows what, right? What what my fate would have been or what my life would have been like um, if I wasn't found or if, if she didn't chase down the person that kidnapped me um, in New York City. And really that's agency, right? The, the, and, and so I talk a lot about agency in the book, which is really this, like the choice that we each have every single day to, um, to do something, to like, you know, be compelled enough and in, in enough angst and have enough despair and, but also have enough, um, you know, willpower to not overthink um, in the, in the heat of the moment. And I think we're in the heat of the moment every day, especially in this world, as it relates to what's happening in the world, whether it's related to the pandemic or to refugee crisis or to, you know, climate change, we have the agency every single day to do something. So the angst and the kind of despair and the the anxiety that I felt was growing up, listening to that story was, you know, I really just pondered a lot over what it would take for me to risk my life. Right. And, and I'm not saying that every act of kindness, we have to like risk our life to, to to save somebody that is obviously an extenuating circumstance, 
but even give enough of myself without even thinking about it or having it be a default mode so that, um, you know, what would it take in me to be able to do something like that? And would I even be able to do it? You know, th- those were the questions that I, that I pondered. Um, and, and that really kind of like informed a lot of, I think, the evolution of, of who I am and honestly, who I'm still becoming in, in mm-hmm. the future. But it, it really was like one of those seeds that was planted in me early on. And it took me really into like until adolescence to figure out um, that my mom wasn't sort of the victim of the story and that, um, you know, the empathy from my mother certainly was not misplaced, but I think that was always central to the story of, of the kidnapping when in fact, um, I think the most central part of the story was the, the good Samaritan. And so I chose to really hyper-focus on, on this woman who, I don't even know who she is. Like, I don't know if she's still alive or, you know, uh, never got a chance to properly in, in, in adolescence or in adulthood, certainly to, to even thank her. Um, and, you know, who knows, maybe she, t- she told the story to her family and maybe somebody in her family will read this book or hear a podcast and be like, oh my God, that was my mom, you know? Mm. So maybe that that's like an interesting hope as well. That would be so cool. I hope that mm-hmm. happens. And it is such a beautiful example too of everyone not only using their agency, but using agencies together. Your mom was still using hers and she was doing the best she could to find you. But this yeah. woman happened to have a different view. You know what I mean? So I think that yeah. that's a really cool story about that too. And while you're certainly using kindness on a global level, we encounter these things every day, right? You know, I was driving on the highway the other day and I saw a car broken down. And in the split seconds, it took me to overthink is it safe to stop? Should I stop? I should have probably right. just stopped. So we have those yeah. little moments all the time. All the time. It's so interesting. Like, think about it. I just, I honestly remember that even like growing up, like we used to pick up hitchhikers. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. a thing, you know, like it was just something that we did. And if there was room in the car, we would pick them up. We wouldn't think about it. And now it's like, you just are like, what? no way. Like, why would it, you know, like, it's just, yeah. It's just a simple thing. And I'm not like certainly not saying or advocating that people should or shouldn't or what have you, because I I recognize that there, you know, there's a lot of strange things that are happening in the world. But the point is, is that I kind of feel like there were always strange things happening in the world. We just Mm -hmm. happen to have a lot more information about the strange things happening in the world (laughs) back then. And maybe in some sense, like ignorance is bliss. It's not that people you know, weren't doing bad things. I think in, at least not in my generation, when I was growing up, there were things happening all the time, but I think there was this really, this veil, like we didn't have 24 hour news channels and we didn't have, you know, social media and we didn't have the internet. So, you know, we just got information and bits and pieces. And I kind of feel like in some way, like that helped us grow up in, I guess, a pure or at least a, a, we had a veil that it was a pure time to mm-hmm. grow up. Yeah, you could walk to your neighbors. You could go visit a friend. You could ride your yeah. bike around all day and your parents wouldn't check in on you, all this stuff. They couldn't check in on you. You didn't have a cell phone or you no. weren't, <laughs> they didn't have like a, you know, Life 360 app like I had on my phone, you know, <laughs> my son when he was younger. And it's like, they just, mm-hmm. yeah, they couldn't. They, they had no idea. It was like, be home for dinner. They didn't think anything of it. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, luckily I was a foodie, so I always was home for dinner and I did not miss dinner. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, you're kind of roaming free. I would love to know, is there like a more recent act of kindness or stranger that you've encountered that has truly changed your life? I mean, I know it happens all the time, but uh-huh. any stories you can share on that mm-hmm. front? It's honestly true that every single day, like we get so many letters and responses from all these incredible connections between individuals that we've been able to pair up. Right. Mm. And yes, two strangers that otherwise would never have met or crossed paths uh, most likely because they are just, you know, worlds apart. And, and really every single day I have this incredible opportunity to just kind of put on a different lens and walk a mile, literally walk a mile in somebody's shoes and like see the world through their eyes and the struggles and the strife that they're going through, which helps to, um, certainly, you know, just give me a lot more perspective about the things that set me off on a daily basis, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or or kind of like that woe is me, you know, mentality that you 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 don't get stuck there because you see just how much suffering there is in the world, but then recognize how much you can alleviate. So, you know, most recently, and I don't know when this podcast is going to air, but like this crisis will be going on for quite some time, you know, is the, the Afghan refugee um, crisis. Really, it's a crisis of epic proportions and it's tragic. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, and post a lot about images and, and pictures and, you know, oh, we're in despair. This is so terrible. It's happening. And, and I know there's a lot of people who have certainly um, risen up and are, are, you know, doing something about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I applaud all of those individuals. Um, and very early on, you know, when, when it was apparent that we were, the U.S. was was leaving, and that um, we were leaving behind, or going to be leaving behind a lot of people. You know, uh, that's when Pandemic Love was able to mobilize and to connect with organizations on the ground in the D.C. area, um, so Maryland, Virginia, and 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 the D.C. area to you know help with that uh, resettlement that was happening. It was already happening even before the the first images or the videos started really appearing um people were starting to filter in and one of the one of the amazing you know things that is happening on a daily basis now that is honestly touching my life in such a deep way is the the visuals the the images that i'm getting not of kind of what's happening in you know which is again is devastating but i'm trying to kind of like focus on the okay, what can we do right and so the visions, the visuals and the videos that I'm getting of the homes that are being set up by volunteers in the DC area for these refugee families that are coming in um, by organizations like Homes Not Borders. And so, you know, basically our organization is helping to provide and, and fulfill all of these different needs for furniture, for essentials. Like imagine if you are leaving your country with nothing but the shirt on your back and you're coming into a foreign country, which is hard enough, but then you have nothing. You literally, you don't have a bed. You don't have, you know, a toothbrush. You don't have pots and pans. You have literally nothing. And so it's, it's, it's incredible to see how much heart these volunteers are putting into making these homes, not just like sterile environments, but really like homes where you feel like you walk in and you're like, wow, like this is, this is amazing. This is such a wonderful sort of 
soft landing. It's a softer landing, certainly than a cot at a military base, you know, and uh, certainly a refugee tent, a tent in a refugee camp, uh, which unfortunately is the fate of a lot of refugees all around the world, not just Afghan refugees, but, you know, Syrian refugees for the last, you know, several years, certainly Palestinian refugees, et cetera. So I think that, you know, that has really been shaping a lot uh, and informing a lot of, of the work that I've been doing in recent weeks, because it's giving me the energy to um, continue. Because some days, you know, to be really honest with you, I, I also suffer from compassion fatigue and I can really sense when that is heightened and that refuels me because I can, I can see what a huge difference a lot of people can make when they just do a little bit and they come together. Mm, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that and for doing that. That is truly so incredible. And speaking of pandemic of love, would you mind just explaining how that came about? So pandemic of love, it's so interesting because when you read about pandemic of love, usually in in a magazine or if it's being profiled somehow, the story mm-hmm. that the media likes to tell is that like some, you know, woman was sitting in, in her kitchen in March of 2020 and was like, oh, I feel so much despair for my community. We're about to go into lockdown. What can I do? And put up two links. And that's like just really a very small part of the story. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah, there's a whole kind of like prelude to that story. And the prelude to that story is that Mutual Aid, which is what Pandemic of Love is, it's a mutual aid organization. Mutual aid is really just a way to create a redistribution of wealth within a closed circuit, right? It could be a community, it could be a neighborhood, it could be a building, it could be a church group, a a synagogue group, uh, it could be anything, a, a school, et cetera, a group of friends. I am a meditation teacher and I've been, you know, leading a meditation uh, community in South Florida for five years pre-pandemic. And we used to meet on the beach every Sunday morning. You know, the the community started with 12 individuals and wound up with over 15,000 individuals, uh, which was really remarkable and incredible. And we were really creating this redistribution of wealth for years prior to pandemic of love's formation and for years, um, you know, prior to, to, to the global pandemic. And when I say wealth, when I say redistribution of wealth, I don't mean wealth like monetary wealth. I think a lot of people automatically just draw the conclusion that when you're talking about wealth, you're talking about money, but really I'm defining wealth in a broader sense because people suffer from things like time poverty. People suffer from, you know, things like data poverty and, you know, food insecurity, et cetera. So there's so many different types of, of, you know, wealth that a person can have in their life. And so when you think about um, defining uh, any type of a community or closed circuit as individuals who each have something that they need or many things that they need and each have things that they can give, right? Or many things that they can offer. And if you can kind of like put all of those needs in sort of a marketplace and people can redistribute the things that they can offer to the people that need that thing and vice versa, we create this really incredible economy, if you will, 
that is self-sustaining and that is so beautiful and that I always like to frame it as takes us to this magical time period that our grandparents would always talk about called back in the day, right? Mm -hmm. Back in the day, we knew our neighbors, we knew what they were going through. We, you know, people just didn't go hungry, like in our community because everybody took care of each other, right? And, And we don't really do that today. We don't do that today at all. Like we we know our neighbor's name is Bob, but do we know if Bob is, you know, suffering from, from mental health issues? Do we know if he just lost his job? Do we know if he's struggling to keep his lights on? Like we have no, no idea usually because that's just not who we are as a society that is priding itself on so much connection, but honestly more disconnected than ever before. So we were transacting already from a mutual aid perspective with things like, yes, monetary help, but also things like mental health support and transportation and tutoring and, you know, school uniforms, like you name it, you know, musical instruments, like all you name it. It was something that our community was transacting and it was just this beautiful exchange. And so when that pandemic hit, I was like, you know, we've been doing this for years now in a, in a really beautiful way, but I want to be able to like expand it out and make it public for the community at large in South Florida, which is where I was living at the time. And I knew that privacy was like a huge issue. I couldn't just put up like a spreadsheet with people's like phone numbers and emails and say, you know, call Jane if you can give her a ride on Tuesdays <laughs> or whatever. So um, so I just at that moment decided, OK, there's a, there could be a really interesting way to do this. Let's create two Google forms that were and they were so super simple, like they didn't even ask for zip codes or, you know, where you're from, because I just assume that everybody who would fill it out would only be from the South Florida area. And uh, I put those two links up. Uh, The one form was called give help. One form was called get help. It was incredibly simple. I just put up a video like on my Instagram page and on my Facebook page. And that video uh, went viral, pun intended, actually. (laughs) Uh, And it just, I think, really proved that you know, diseases are not the only thing that can be viral, but things like mm-hmm. hope and kindness and love could also be viral. And so the next morning when I woke up, there were hundreds and hundreds of people who had filled out both forms and they were from places that I'd never, you know, even visited. And that they, they were from people that I, I've never seen their name before. And I realized that, you know, these this this post got shared all over the world. Uh, And really within a few days, um, I started to replicate those forms and help other communities around the world create their own mutual aid organization that was really based initially on these forms. And now it's expanded, you know, to to become way more than that. And we we do a lot of different things, not just mutual aid, but we crowdfund a lot of like extenuating circumstances. We've partnered with nonprofits like uh, United Farm Workers and uh, United, our uh, uh, Water Warriors United, which is a part of Navajo Nation, and um, you know, just different organizations that are doing great work and have been doing great work, but need some amplification and kind of a boost. So, we currently are um, really getting close to making our two millionth match. Wow! And we um, have been responsible for making enough connections to have individuals transact directly close to sixty million dollars. And you know, it's always you know people will say like, "Oh, you she's raised sixty million dollars," and I'm like, "No, I didn't. 
raise $60 million because we're not a nonprofit. We're a nonprofit disruptor. We're not a 501c3. We don't have a bank account. You can't make a donation to Pandemic of Love. The idea behind Pandemic of Love is a person who is willing to donate has to pick up the phone or, you know, at least text initially and talk to the person that they are helping and get to know them, get to know their story, make them feel seen and heard, and then assist them. But it creates this like human connection, which I think is really missing from a lot of nonprofits today and is really missing even from a lot of ways that mutual aid works today, you know, where people are like, just send money to this Venmo account and we'll distribute it. And it's like, well, but you're missing this incredible opportunity for proximity and proximity, I think ultimately is what is going to create equity and create true connection and understanding and help us get past like all this polarization that is, you know, afflicting us today. Mm, That's so beautiful. I'm (laughs) going to like cry. I've done a lot of nonprofit work and I, I see that my family has a very small nonprofit and we've been able to help families directly with kids going through cancer. And so we have seen firsthand, like you're saying, with actually talking with the people and hearing their story and then inviting them to your events. And now, you know, we're Facebook friends, they're part of your life. Yeah. And so that's something I have found is always missing in a lot of these places. And the fact that you were able to like take this time where, like you said, everybody's more connected than ever, but also disconnected. It's such a paradox. And do this is it's just incredible. Like, I, I don't even know how I would be able to fathom helping that many people. I find it so interesting that it really got attention during the pandemic. And then suddenly, you know, you're a star born overnight, even though you've been doing this for so long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's the media for you. Totally. Totally. But the pandemic was kind of a paradox, I think, too, because like you talk about in your book, we were forced to think about the big picture. You know, you talk a lot about the big picture. Yeah. But also at the same time, a lot of people were very selfish. I felt like they still are actually. Yeah. Do you have any tangible advice for kind of like snapping yourself into the big picture when you find your mind spiraling? You know, and I do talk about these kind of these tools in my book often. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I just really at this point, like default into is I I love to practice, if you've heard of the meditation practice RAIN with the acronym R-A-I-N, which is recognize, accept, investigate, and nurture. Mm -hmm. And so when I feel rage or grief or despair or anything that is really just a lot, you know, emotionally, especially if you're like an empathetic person, right? Mm -hmm. You really feel into everything and you're just completely emotionally just um, knocked off your feet by so many things, you can spiral really easily. But if you allow yourself to just label, you know, what you're feeling, as uh, Dr. Dan Siegel has coined this great phrase, name it to tame it. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And it's like, yeah, label what it is that you're feeling. Because, it, you know, if, you, if you're not kind of willing to get in there and dig and sort of excavate what it is and label it and say, okay, I'm feeling these particular things or this particular emotion. And then once you do that and you recognize that, you can really start to pinpoint and that's the investigation part. Like, okay, why am I feeling this way? Mm. Why am I feeling this way? How do I just acknowledge that it's okay to feel this way, that it's part of the human experience that I'm feeling? And then, you know, certainly nurture that. And so from that kind of like, you know, place of being contemplative, that's the launching point, I think, once you're able to kind of get to a better place 
at least naming and, and, and sitting with what you're feeling, then you can get into that empathy action mode, right? Mm. So we're historically, evolutionarily, I should say, human beings obviously have defaulted biologically into that fight, flight, freeze mode. Um, you know, when we're in despair, when we're scared, when we have fear. Mm. And so we're like, you know, in that defensive kind of mode. And those historically have always been those three options, fight, flight, freeze. You know, none of those are going to help us in these these times. Certainly running away from the problem is not going to help it. You know, fighting the problem is not going to help it. And just freezing and hoping it's going to go away is not going to help either. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think it really calls into this empathy action mode or scientifically it's been labeled as uh, the tend and befriend. And so, um, you know, empathy action, which is something I talk about in the book is like, once you get to that point where you are able to sort of wrap your hands around what it is that you're feeling as, as uncomfortable as it may be, then you can begin to ask yourself, you know, two questions, which are really, they get to the, to the heart of the matter, which is what can I do about it? So if, for example, I recognize and I labeled that I'm pissed off mm-hmm. and I say, well, I'm really pissed off or I'm super angry, right? Then immediately the default is, and what can I do about it? Mm-hmm. And then the follow-up question to that is, and how can I come from a place of love? So if I can do something about what I'm feeling, because I've labeled what I was feeling and I know why I'm feeling that way, and I can come from a place of love, then I can actually do something kind and tangible and make a difference in this world, even if it's in my own little you know, circle of influence, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I love the Buddhist proverb of like, tend to the area of the garden that you can reach. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like if all of us just tended to the area of the garden that we could reach, if we all just focused on that, instead of looking at like our neighbor's garden patch or looking at, you know, what somebody else is doing and critiquing it or saying they're not doing enough or just just focus on your own garden. Like think about how the world would be flourishing and how much, you know, better the world would be if we all did that. Yeah, it's going to take all of us. And you've created that ecosystem of, it's like an exchange of love, what you created, which Mm -hmm. is so beautiful. I'm so struck by the name of the book, because you just said, you know, you talked about fight or flight or freezing and sitting down is not something I've ever been taught. I mean, I do it all the time. I watch Netflix. No, but like sitting down, (laughs) literally the book itself, like the title is just so inspirational because you're taught from a young age to stand up, stand up straight, stand up for what's right, stand up and do something. Don't be lazy. You know, you're never supposed to sit down. So the sit down title really struck me. And then in the book, I think you start by saying your grandmother used to be really still. You would sit on her lap and and you really discussed how important it was to be still. Was that always the title you had in mind? No. (laughs) Okay. It was totally not. The book title originally was supposed to be The Seed Planter or something around that notion because I kind of, you know, people always kind of have this vision of, I guess, what a person who has launched a career, quote unquote, in the meditation world or the wellness 
world or this industrial wellness complex that we're living in today. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so people have like all these opinions about what that needs to look like. Right. And so, you know, when I kind of look at the spectrum of the health and wellness space, especially as it pertains to mindfulness or meditation, like there's a lot of people that are towards that at the end of that spectrum, you know, like the core teachers, the masters, like a Fitch, not Han, you know, et cetera. And then you, in the Dalai Lama, and then you kind of dial it back and you've got like, you know, our, our elder wisdom teachers, like, you know, um, if it's uh, Sharon Salzberg or, you know, uh, Jack Kornfield, et cetera. And then you sort of dial it back and you've got like the more mainstream people like uh, Deepak Chopra, et cetera, and dial it back and you've got Oprah and other people who are like leaning into that space. And I feel like nobody ever wanted to be like in the space of like just planting seeds with people and staying there, you know, like mm -hmm. I think everybody starts out there and then sort of just aspires to be like this person who's got this huge like empire of products and magazines and candles mm -hmm. and other things that they're trying to like sell you, you know, and I'm like, no, I love being in this space as a seed planter, like as somebody who you know, touches a lot of people's lives, but I don't, doesn't necessarily have to accompany them on their journey. And like, I would rather reach, um, you know, a thousand people like on a Sunday morning leading meditation than um, reaching, you know, five people a week that I'm coaching or that I'm doing one-on-one -on -one sessions with. And it's not to say that there's anything, you know, those people are needed as well, but I just, I don't think I have the constitution to do that, to be honest with you. So I love being that, that the person that kind of gives you something to try on for size and like plants a seed with you and says like, Hey, here's this little seed that I'm going to put in your hand and you can use it now in this moment and then put it away and forget about it. Like put it in the back pocket of your jeans and then be that person who washes your jeans 10 years later and goes, Oh, what's in my pocket? Oh my God, I forgot I had this, you know? Or be the person who puts it in a, a small planter, or be the person who then takes it out into the world and, you know, plants an entire like grove that then becomes this like huge forest, right? Mm -hmm. And and perpetuates and sort of seeds other individuals. So I, I love being that person. And so it was really originally going to be that. That was going to be like the theme. And then um I wound up speaking at, I think one of the last conferences before the shutdown started to happen and the pandemic happened in San Francisco, the Wisdom 2.0 conference. And I was mm. on a stage with other activists who are doing incredible work in the world. And I don't remember what the question is, but the moderator who was uh, Rich Fernandez, who's the CEO of Silly, uh, Search Inside Your Self-Leadership Institute, which is part of Google, asked a question and I, I had just gotten back from, from, uh, you know, a retreat that I led that I lead every year with, with meditation teacher, David G in Israel uh, and Palestine. And we, it's like mindfulness at the intersection of faith, kind of a 10 day tour, the immersive experience really about holding those, just all these truths and duality. And I was just fired up, you know, I was supercharged and I got on that stage and I said, you know, I'm, I'm so over it. Like I'm so annoyed at our community, community of like meditation teachers and people who call themselves meditators and are in the health space and in this contemplative practice. Cause I feel like we always talk about doing the inner work, you know, and, and we, and we, we have conferences about 
talking about doing the inner work. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, when does the inner work actually translate into the outer world? If we're not doing the inner work for the sole purpose of showing up for the world in a different way, mm-hmm. then what are we even sitting down for? And so I think I blurted something out. Like if we're not sitting down to then rise up, then what are we sitting for in the first place? And so that sort of became this moment where people were like, I, my friend Tyler, who was sitting in the audience was like, when you said that sentence, there was like gasp in the audience and people were kind of like, oh, okay. And so my publisher, the editor, my publisher actually wound up holding onto that. He latched onto that and was like, that's the title of your book, Sit Down to Rise Up. It's beautiful. It's so, it's so striking. And I mean, the cover art is obviously so eye-catching as well, but a good title is really hard to find. And I love that story. Like you said, there is such an emphasis on this outer world, the deals you're getting, the pictures you're putting out, the perfect Instagram grid. So I'm glad you have this beautiful intention. Even though I have 87,000 more questions to ask you, (laughs) I'm going to trim it down for your time. Would you be down to play a surprise game? Sure. It's really fast and it'll be easy. It's really not much of a game. Cool. Okay. It's called the compliment game because I haven't given you enough already. And basically I reached out to someone in your life and I asked them what they love most about you. And just to give me a distilled compliment and you have to guess who said the quote that I'm about to read. Everyone's beautiful in their own way. It's the compliment game on the A-O-K. Okay. It's the compliment, compliment, compliment game. Bump. We'll say you get three yes or no questions to ask me. I don't know too much, but I'll try. And maybe like two guesses just for time's sake. Okay, I'm going to read it to you now. Shelly has a multitude of talents, but I am continually blow. Oh, let me start over. Let me start. I don't know how to talk after the pandemic. So I started a podcast. <laughs> Shelly has a multitude of talents, but I am continually blown away by her innate ability to forge a human connection with those when they need it most. And each time she does this, she helps to reinforce the human connection within our broader community. Her work is absolutely contagious. I concur with that. God, Um, who said that? That's a good question. I mean, it can be anybody. It's like, <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it could be any of the volunteers for a pandemic of love, I think, but it also could be somebody that I work with like Jude. Who is amazing. Thank you for coordinating this. Yeah. Jude. She's great. Hey Jude. Exactly. She's never heard that line before. Oh yeah. I'm sure. Right. I've never heard <laughs> Peter, Paul and Mary. No one's ever asked me where Mary is <laughs> with my last name. I know. Totally. <laughs> okay. So is it someone that is a volunteer or part of pandemic of love? I believe this person has contributed, but I don't think they're a volunteer. Okay. And is it someone that I am regularly in touch with? I believe so. <laughs> I can also give you a hint. <laughs> sure. That would okay. be helpful. Do you want a big hint? Yeah, big hint. All right. This person, and we can cut this out if it's a surprise, is in the acknowledgments for your book. There's so many people in the acknowledgments. I know. It's a long <laughs> list, which is beautiful. You're so grateful. It is. Um, it is a long list. Is it someone famous? Like a celebrity? (laughs) (laughs) So this is the person, well, this will give it away, actually, if I say that. This is is the person that connected us. The person that connected us. Who was the person? It was it Justin Michael Williams? 
No. But, oh, I don't yeah. remember who connected us. Oh, okay. Should I just tell you who it is? Yeah, tell me who it is. Because I honestly don't remember. Okay, it's Simone Handler. Oh, yes, of course. She's yeah. fabulous. She's amazing. She really she is. is. She's all of the things. She's the real deal. She's honestly one of my, and I, I know a lot of people. She is one of my favorite people in the world. Mm-hmm. She is. She's, she's so easy to be around. She's so genuine. And she is like a cornerstone for me. Like she's somebody mm-hmm. that I go to a lot for advice or just to vent because she just has this like natural nurturing ability. So that is just, I'm blown away by that compliment because she's fabulous. She's a wonderful person. So yes, now that you said that, I do remember (laughs) that she connected us. She's She's on the board of Pandemic of Love, actually. I knew she had something to do with it. She's- Yeah, she sits on our advisory board and she's been, you know, just a really, she she contributes in a lot of ways to Mm. just the ideas of how we can- continue to grow and continue to help people and pivot. And she's just super bright and smart. She's such a beautiful person and she's constantly giving. I mean, when I started sharing about my podcast, she immediately texted me, I think, and mentioned you and said, you'd be perfect for it. Like she's just always connecting people. And I, We love you. We love you, Simone. And Chelsea, of course, her sister, Chelsea Handler, which is why the famous question got me a little bit, wrote your foreword. She's also super generous and just, I'm very grateful to have her in my life. Well, good attracts good. And I guess if we could just end this with, if you have any kind of kindness tip you could leave us with that will inspire our listeners to get out there and do some good. Well, I would say that, you know, I think a lot of times we fall short of performing an act of kindness on a daily basis or when the opportunity arises because we overthink things or we think that we need to um, have these like big and lofty plans. Mm-hmm. And, and so when you think about pandemic of love, you think like, oh yeah, it's this huge organization whatever. I can't, I need, I can't do something like that. Or I, that's not what pandemic of love is at all. It's like, it's like the anti-organization. It's basically just this accumulation of small acts of kindness. So when you think about this huge number of like $60 million and you extrapolate it out mathematically, the average monetary donation, right? Transaction, I should say, between a person in, in need and a person who can who can fulfill that need amounts to about $135, which is not an insignificant amount of money. I get that. But it's certainly a lot less significant, if you will, when you think about it compared to $60 million. And so the idea is that if you can just think about going for it, you know, just showing up, mm-hmm. showing up in, in any small way, I think don't discount the fact that just showing up in a small way actually makes a huge impact because it does. It makes a huge impact for people in their lives. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be something monetary either. It could be a compliment. It could be just thinking of someone, it could be opening the door, it could be, you know, just going out of your way in a small way every single day, which makes a huge difference in people's lives. I agree. And the small things actually are the big things because they're the things we remember. They're the things we take away with us. Someone told me uh, my hair looked good at at the supermarket the other day. No one told me that, but you know, these little things really stick with people. So I think that's a beautiful way to leave this. And just thank you for all you do and for taking the time to talk with me today. Definitely. And thanks so much for having me on with your podcast. I I hope a lot of people listen to it and that you continue to grow your audience. And I'm very happy to be uh, in your corner. Oh, thank you so much. Have a great day. Two awkward people trying to leave a Zoom right now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, you're totally not. 
now it's time for your Kindness Tip of the Week. Shelly, thank you so much again for taking the time to chat with me. Everyone, please go buy her book, Sit Down to Rise Up. I cannot say enough kind words about it. I also have to say I am so grateful for our mutual friend, Simone Handler, who we talked about and gushed about. There was actually a lot more we said about her. I had to cut it out for time. (laughs) But trust me, we can both go on and on about this amazing woman. She truly leads with kindness. Thank you, Simone. Of course, your kindness tip of the week is inspired by Shelly, specifically her book title, which clearly I'm obsessed with. I encourage you all to take a moment to stop and be still this week. Sit down and just be. Schedule the time in if you have to. I'm not talking about vegging out with your cell phone or in front of the TV watching Netflix. I mean just stopping what you're doing and sitting with yourself for a little while. Checking in with ourselves gives us the power of awareness. Awareness is really an underrated power. It makes us more aware of how we feel, and being aware of how we feel helps us better understand what works for us and what doesn't. Awareness can also lead to sharpening our empathy and produce a better understanding of how others might feel around us. If you enjoy this kindness tip or any other kindness tips, please let us know on Instagram at artofkindnesspod or on all other social media platforms at Paul. I would really love to hear your kindness tips as well, so feel free to message them or comment them to us. And now for our last order of business today, I'm going to announce our final giveaway winner. The winner of an incredible Be Kind Beanie from the Be Kind Shop is... You know I need that drum roll, please. At Mama Wolf Writes. Woo, gotta love that name. At Mama Wolf, I'm looking at your profile too, and I love that you say you support small businesses. Oh, you love creativity and kindness. What an amazing person to win. Enjoy your Be Kind beanie. We would love to see it on you when you receive it. Please tag us in photos if you post them, and I hope it keeps you warm this winter. Never fear, if you didn't win, you could still get a Be Kind beanie from the Be Kind shop. And lucky you, they were so kind as to give our listeners a special discount code. Use Art of Kind at checkout to receive 15% off your purchase. I'm gonna go get myself a beanie right now. I have so many more fun interviews lined up for you guys. And once again, in this season of gratitude, I am so grateful for each and every one of you. Until next time, remember... Everything's going to be A-OK. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.